Welcome to episode 51 of Comic Book Nation, the official podcast of comicbook.com. I'm your host, Kofi Outlaw, and with me again is my co-host, Matthew Aguilar. What up, peoples? And joining us as we enter this news, new era of the show, I call it uh, Comic Book Nation Phase 4, is Mr. Charlie Ridgely. Hello. And because we've been on the Comic-Con beat, we are a little run down still, but we're on the road to recovery. Uh, Mr. Brandon Davis is recovering on a beach somewhere in Hawaii <laughs> right now because he uh, was so overworked, so he needed some <laughs> R&R, and we couldn't get him into the Tahiti facility you know, fast enough. So he's out recovering in Hawaii, but me and Matt are still here in the studio soldiering on, along with uh, producer Jim Viscardi over there in the cut. Hello. So... Because we've been out on Comic-Con, there's been a lot of news. There's a lot of uh, kind of news items that we are going to get through. So largely today, we're going to be kind of uh, cleaning up that pile with some much-needed news flash rundown. But at the end of that, we are also going to be taking a deep dive into the new era of X-Men launched by Jonathan Hickman in House of X number one for our deep dive. But along with that, in our news flash, we're going to be talking about the new trailers for Will Smith's Gemini Man and the... Just hot off the presses trailer for Zombieland Double Tap. We will also be talking about some sequels that are coming up from the Halloween franchise. We're going to also be talking about Avengers Endgame's box office supremacy and is it legit or is there another movie that technically, technically could be still dethroning it, among some other things. So be sure to stick around for that because when we come back, we are going to jump hard and fast into this news break. So don't go anywhere. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. All right, so up first, we got some hot flash news and some news flash regular to get through. So there are going to be some pieces we're going to spend a lot of time or a little bit more time talking about and some pieces we're going to really just burn through. Uh, first up, we want to say goodbye yeah. to an acting, uh, I don't, I know icon gets blown out of proportion here. But uh, one of the character actor greats of our time, Mr. Rudger Hauer, who passed away. Um, he actually passed away a bit ago, and they kind of had a funeral for him, I believe. And so, yeah, he is gone at age 75. And if you don't remember Rudger Hauer, he was kind of a breakout star thanks to Blade Runner, of course. But uh, he also got his start in America. He was a famous Dutch actor. Um, kind of got his launch thanks to Paul Verhoeven, the director of like Basic Instinct, who was working in the Netherlands TV. Um, then he kind of came over here and uh, re- got his start in Sylvester Stallone's Nighthawks, in which he kind of played this terrorist villain attacking New York in a time where people thought that premise was too crazy for a movie. I know, right? Funny. Yeah. So 
then he kind of had this breakout in Blade Runner. But, you know, modern audiences really knew him from things like uh, playing Bruce Wayne's kind of Wayne Enterprises executive in Batman Begins or playing uh, Cardinal O'Rourke in uh, Sin City. And, of course, the Grindhouse spin-out, Quentin Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez spin-out, Hobo with a Shotgun. Uh, you know, that was Rucker Howard. So we're going to miss him because, uh, I mean, he's attached to... Oh, how could I not mention Lady Hawk, bro? Like, yeah, he was in <laughs> Lady Hawk, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's Lady Hawk. So uh, he's been a familiar face for a long time, and so we're going to miss him. So we just want to take a minute and say RIP to Rutger Howard. Uh, does anybody else have anything specific to add to that? No. If you do, you got like 20 mm-hmm. seconds. I think you covered it. We're going to keep it moving. All right. Now, moving right along. Avengers Endgame. So, Avengers Endgame has surpassed Avatar to become the top highest grossing movie of all time worldwide. But people are starting to throw in those asterisks. I mean, you know, there's always going to be the Star Wars crowd pointing out that Force Awakens is the domestic, still the domestic crown for highest grossing movie of all time in the U.S. But uh, there's also this new report that came out about Gone with the Wind, the uh, classic, you know, southern... Confederate era movie about Scarlett O'Hara and uh, basically it says that Gone with the Wind if adjusted for today's ticket prices and inflation would actually be like a three billion dollar movie in ticket sales as opposed to Avengers Endgame which is like 2.7 whatever mm-hmm. point point mm-hmm. point point you know billion so uh, according to that Gone with the Wind would still be box office king and in some circles, is being considered about box office king. I thought this was a, like just interesting because it kind of brought up this whole idea about how this race of box office highest grossing movie of all time worldwide is never good. It's, it's just like built on sand now. Like every little thing changes it. Yeah. Um, Avatar has been surpassed by Avengers Endgame, but when Avatar 2 comes around and Avatar yeah. does this inevitable big re-release, is it going to earn the necessary money to kind of get over Endgame again? <laughs> and then that, is I Marvel going to take like yeah. you know the next opportunity to re-release Endgame to get back over Avatar? And it's just gotten kind of crazy. So the whole thing is kind of getting silly at this point. But uh, I don't. Did anyone bring that up when Avatar had it, the crown inflation? Yeah, no, it, it yeah. Was, I mean, inflation's the thing, but not like no one cared about it as much. Like no one still cares about social inflation. media. Wasn't what it was <laughs> like, people only care because it's a discourse now, and like it's it's just to argue about. There's a fandom. It's just kind of irrelevant because I mean, this is the same thing that sports uh, debates begin about. Like, well, what if Michael Jordan played in the current NBA and like mm-hmm. he'd be able to score? And there's no defense, and like all these are like what if scenarios. Whatever the number is, whatever the number is, <laughs> deal with it. If you don't like it, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, stop. Like, this is just, like, people looking to debate something that's just not real. Yeah, right? and uh, I said, like, whereas, you know, there's more of a case of something like Avatar to come around and get a legitimate re-release and have a legitimate run. Um, you know, Gone with the Wind has had, like, crazy amount of re-releases. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and when like, it came out, there were, the like, four of, like, movies in a theater a year. Like, Yeah, but it's had, like... There weren't any movies to go 30, see. I forget the exact number of re-releases it's had, but it's, it's had... It's a, had a ton. Yeah, it was, like, 35 years or something of re-releases. Yeah, 35 years. From 1939 to 1974, there were multiple re-releases, national re-releases, that kept contributing to its yeah. total. But in the era we're living in, I don't think it's the kind of movie that's going to get rolled out for too much longer to be like, let's take a fond memory down Confederate Lane. Yeah, like, I mean, it's still, <laughs> like, it's people like, people aren't going to be flocking back to go see. 
uh, going with the win. I mean, down here in Nashville, maybe. Like, I was going to say, it's a cinema. I mean, it is regarded national, as that No, classic, to, to, yeah. keep, to keep contributing towards this total has to be a national release. Yes. And I don't uh, see it. Yeah. So that, that time has kind of passed for that movie. I think, uh, you know, I think we can stop counting on that one. And if Avatar does... Out. Do another reissue right before the other one? Like, good on them, smart. Like, it's, it's not, <laughs> a, it's not the a them anymore, though. Yeah, I know. Both well, things yeah. are owned by the same company. Exactly. Now. But if if Disney, I, I don't. Why would they? Do you think they, they will? They bought they, Avatar's success. Is, they earned. It is success. almost they, they absolutely certain that by the time Avatar two gets around. Disney's going to be like, yo, remember Avatar all those years ago? Like, <laughs> come relive the magic, and James Cameron will do, like, super 4K 3D or oh, something that. stupid I, mean, I think like they'll, they'll, like, they'll do like they do with Marvel movies. They'll release a double feature or, like, a thing where you go see them both together. Um, or, like, right before. It'll have, Avatar will definitely have get, it'll get, like, a remastered version. Yeah, sure. limited re-release. Yeah. Guaranteed. Um, so... Yeah, but for now, I mean, I'm with Matt. All the haters and trolls can fall back. Marvel has the crown. It got it. <laughs> Did Kevin Feige and them drop a couple, like, you know, $4 million in tickets? Ticket <laughs> who buy, knows? Right to have this happen during Comic-Con. You know, who knows? But uh, that's a conspiracy theory for another day. We've got a lot of news to get to, so uh, we're going to keep it moving. All right, next up, the Zombieland 2 trailer has... Drop Zombie Land Double Tap. It's so good. Yeah, and it's kind of split. Um, we all loved it, but of course there has to be one troll in the punch bowl, <laughs> and that troll today is Mr. Matthew Aguilar. You said split who, as in, and I was like, oh, who's with me? And I forgot Jim was over there. I forgot Jim was over there. I was counting just me and Charlie okay. versus you, but and I was yeah. just gonna call I mean, that a fine. split. <laughs> I'm used like, to it. Um, yeah, so the trailer came out, and it wastes no time of just plunging us right back into the world of Zombieland and the kind of mix of horror and irreverent humor that kind of made the first film really great. We got this opening sequence of, like, you know, reminding us that these are four, that Woody Harrelson, Abigail Breslin, uh, Emma Stone, and Jesse Eisenberg are all at least Academy Award-nominated, if not winning, actors yeah. Um, before just getting into some hilarious sequence of them just wiping out zombies and kind of going through zombie land. And uh, the wrinkle in this one is that Jesse Eisenberg's character, Columbus, meets a new girl who's this kind of ditzy girl. And, of course, that begins to ruffle feathers with Emma Stone and their whole, like, little quasi-family kind of gets broken up and needs to be reunited. Abigail Breslin's character runs off with a guy and so Columbus is having, or uh, Tallahassee's having daddy issues, and and it was kind of a family drama mixed with like yeah horror comedy, and I thought it was hilarious. Um, I love Zombieland, and this just looked like a trailer that made a sequel. That's been a you know it's been a while since Zombieland yeah. was out, and this looked like it's going to live up to it and still be just as good, and I I liked it. But Matt apparently saw a different trailer. No, I mean, talk about. look, I I love the first one. Uh, it's one of those movies that, like, uh, like Anissa hadn't seen. I was like, oh, my God, you have to see this because, like, it's just great, right? And I love the the blending of, like, over-the-top humor and the fun family dynamic. Like, all that stuff's great. The Twinkies thing, like, you see that referenced in here, right? You see a lot of those little callbacks. To me, though, it just seemed like a lot of by the numbers, like a lot of the stuff fell flat for me. The new characters do nothing for me. Like the two, I granted, I, I mean, get their glimpses. For like, I'm not. I'm judging a, a trailer. I. It's not like everyone saw the show. 
And I, I'm I not judging the show. I'm judging laughing. a trailer. So I judge what's in the trailer. I still won't stop laughing every time he stops pump uh, stops the sh- uh, brake, puts his foot on the brake real yeah. short, and the girl just comes flying over and hits her face into the dashboard. That makes me well, laugh. And, and I love it. Like, so Zoe Dutch has been in a bunch of movies the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Set it up is probably one of the most people have seen. And she's so funny and so good. And like, I can't it, wait to see her in this. And I hope it's better Rosario than this five-second thing. Rosario Dawson, That's awesome. I will support in everything. But I also didn't, like, the same thing you're complaining about, you didn't see anything. She's exactly. barely in the it was, trailer. It was a tease. So why are you excited for it and I because can't I be like down on the other? Because I like those people. What do I, I'm what saying, like, it know? just seems, eh, like, all those jokes fell flat. The we joke, stupid. The, like, the humor with like the uh in the white house and i was expecting something kind of fun and it's just boring like this trailer is boring until the very end and when you see like the whole tallahassee and like the mirror group where it's like oh they're just like us and like emma stone's kind of like well does anyone see it that part's interesting because i think there's potential there but i like i said i'm not saying that the movie's gonna be crap i'm just saying this trailer sucked <laughs> I didn't. I did no. very rote. It's forgettable, and I was bummed because I was really looking forward to it. So. I did not like the weird mixing of music that the like the like it went from like one song to another to another, and it just didn't feel like it fit for like a cohesive. Yeah, which which is the, the cutting of the trailer which itself was a, it could be a little weird. But other than that, I mean, I'm still all in for it. So yeah, I thought this was a great trailer. Uh, yeah, I yeah, I, I, I rarely disagree with you this hard, but like yeah. I thought this was a great trailer. I love the joke, the visual joke about the White House thing about Tallahassee not being too far away from like the actual <laughs> government we have now, and like that. Yeah, that would have been a great president. That was a great joke. I thought that was funny because um, you could have gotten a level, lot more on the nose and heavy handed, but they did it in like a really funny way. So I like I like the kind of humor in this. And it's still written by the guys who did um, yeah. the first yeah. one. Written yeah, same director, same writers. Paul. Yeah. Paul. So, I mean, I, I thought, I kind of just disagree. I thought this was great, and I like the kind of evolution of the characters, how they're kind of like this kind of cool unit, and I like the kind of introduction of these characters that are kind of kind of pull them in different directions. I thought the hippie guy was like great, and I thought the weed joke was funny. When he's just like, no, I don't look like a guy who has weed, and he just pulls out this huge bag. Yes, you saw it coming, but it was still kind of funny. Yeah. And I think Rosario Dawson as a female Tallahassee is going to be, you know, something I would pay to see and have paid to see. I support before. Rosario Dawson in every so, single project like, yeah. she's in. I, All right, well, we're going to have to see more. We'll see more, but uh, I can't wait for you to turn around and be like the biggest fan of Zombie Land. I'm look, and I hope it's good. Like I'm not trying to sit up here and say like I'm just going against the and tide. And we're going to troll shame like you the when you are when you are. I just we will troll trailer. shame you for your heel turn. If I if I got crap for turning around on Aladdin. Yeah, you're definitely getting shamed. You're, I mean, you're, why? You're gonna, because I said I said the awful. trailer sucked. I didn't say the movie was going to suck. You said the movie looked like it was going to be terrible. It, I didn't say that. Bad. I said the trailer was bad. <laughs> I used my words good point. correctly. Good point. <laughs> Still not going to s- save you from trolls. That's there. perfectly fine. I'm All just right. saying get your facts right. Move, move it right <laughs> along. Gemini Man. So Will Smith's in this Ang Lee uh, sci-fi action movie, Gemini Man, and we got the second trailer for that. The first trailer kind of just teased the concept of the film. Uh, which is basically that Will Smith's like this elite hitman that uh, Clive Owen takes genetic material from and then grows this kind of younger clone of him who he then sends to kill the original hitman, elite hitman. So now you got an elite hitman and his young trying to kind of outwit his younger self. 
Um, so that was all premise, but it's like, how does this movie going to play in a longer stretch? But what we saw in the second trailer is, you know, made me think, like, Ang Lee really can do anything. It's kind of crazy. Like, this guy is, like, one of the most versatile people I've ever seen in Hollywood. Like, one moment he's doing, like, Joy Luck Club, and then he's, like, taking on Life of Pi and, like, making a crazy effects-driven movie like that with a talking tiger that, that it, like, steals the show. Uh, or was it Talking Tiger or Just a Tiger in a Boat? It was Just a Tiger in a Boat. I'm um, getting my Jungle Books and Lion <laughs> Kings and all this stuff mixed up. Anyway, so now where he's doing uh, like a like a sci-fi action movie, and it looks really crazy dope. Um, the filming style I was kind of worried about when I first saw it, like the kind of digital, like, you know, I forget how to kind of describe it, but like, I don't even know. I don't even know. It does, it, the kind of digital look, where it's almost like, instead of looking like film, like it's shot on film, it just looks like that smooth effect, almost like your TV, like the real cinema effect. Mm -hmm. Soap opera look. Yeah, and like the kind of trying to make it look like real life. The Michael Mann style, basically. Um, but this looked good. This trailer was a lot tighter with the effects. The visual effects for Will Smith and his younger self look really good. And I think Will Smith will actually have one of his better performances that we've seen from him in a long time. Uh, playing the two sides of himself. And I think he will actually be able to do a good job of kind of selling us on, like, young Will Smith and that whole kind of nostalgia, plus playing his kind of older, crankier, wisecracking, you know, Clint Eastwood self. And so I'm kind of really interested in Gemini Man. Uh, what would you guys think of the trailer? What did you think, Joe? Um, I, I really I liked it a lot for the most part. I liked it a lot better than the first one because the first one I just kind of felt like, here's another looper. And I like Looper a lot, so I was kind of, I don't need a, a mimic of that. Um, but kind of getting into the story and what this is, and there's a lot of twists and turns to be had in this. Um, it looks really good. Will Smith looks phenomenal. There's, there's a couple scenes with his younger version where he's just like weeping while talking to Clive Owen. In, the, in both trailers, there's a couple shots of that, and it's like, it's, it's like prime Will Smith. It looks really good. Um, but I had some pause for concern at the end. Did you, Kofi, did you uh, notice when the credits came up, see a familiar name? pop up there no the, the co-writer of the story and the script one david benioff uh, 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 <laughs> the uh, the co-creator and showrunner and writer of game of thrones um who we have all soured on pretty quickly um it, it might be totally fine and i'm just i mean he also wrote that. the 20 the book the 25th hour which became a pretty great movie so. yeah i mean he's he's it just it gave me some pause of like oh Okay, well, let's see yeah, what I mean, his first post game of the thing thing they, like. The only thing that gave me pause in the trailer was at the very end, they did this thing where, like, there's one more secret we have to show you. Where he's like, you know, you don't, it's because you don't understand what we are. And I was like, oh boy. Oh, yeah, that whole, like, if they find out about what we are or whatever yeah. line. Yeah, okay. yeah well, the, like, the, oh, the older boy. listeners, not real either. Yeah, of that's course. Gonna be the whole, that's that's neither one of them real. And that's what I was like, so you're like, numbers. You know, 64 and 69 and a line of clones yeah. you're going to find out and, like, something like that. So, I don't know. And or you're just – your genetic material is, like – and then you're going to find yeah. a really old, dying Will Smith, like, is the genetic donor or something. So, like, I mean, that kind of cheesy stuff I, I saw coming. But this has – I mean, like, let's be honest. This looks like a sci-fi action B movie. Like Yeah, like, I'm like – Concept. And I'm just kind of excited to enjoy it like that. I liked the trailer, 
I didn't like love the trailer. I liked it. I, it's weird. It's almost like you can appreciate someone's performance, but not give one iota to go see that movie. Like, I'm not going to go to the theater and see this. Like, I know me. Like, that's just like, it's, this is not enough you know. to get me into the theater. However, I do like his performance. A couple of spots you guys mentioned with like, he's talking to his, his younger self and there's some, some back and forth between him and Clive Owens. Those are really good. Like, those are really interesting. I don't want to see a whole movie of that. Like, I, it's, just, it's just not enough. So this trailer really didn't, didn't do it for me either. And the bike stuff looks rough. I don't like the bike stuff. He got punched in the face with a motorcycle. I, how, what is wrong? It just looks with yeah. that. It just looks. It didn't. It looked weak. I don't know. I didn't love it. Dude, that's the motorcycle stuff is awesome. I don't. I don't. I didn't love it. it like, like I'm gonna see this movie like I see. It, it's like, like a. It's like a better version of Hobbs and Shaw, where it's like it's not strictly pure like ridiculous entertainment. It's like a step above that, but still embraces the ridiculous entertainment aspect of it. Yeah, just didn't do it for me. And I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm not gonna not see a Will Smith movie. There's no oh my way. God, you're so hard to please today. I mean, <laughs> look, man, sorry. <laughs> I'm typically like the super positive one on the we'll show. But I don't you, know what it is. You like the Sonic trailer America and you're sitting here yelling about Captain Gemini Marvel Man. Who comes around, we'll call you. I mean, you know, what? just don't like Moving it. right along, we got a couple hot flash news items to get through real quick. Uh, first one, the Sonic the Hedgehog movie has been delayed again. Does anybody care? Matt does. Matt loved the trailer for Sonic. I did. Wow. I thought it was fun. I mean, I like it's, I mean, it's not really a surprise considering when they said they were going to go in and redesign Sonic. Oh, yeah. No, See how they stand behind they that were going wholeheartedly? To <laughs> yeah. I, I, what? I like what I like, man. Sorry, I'm not a robot. Like, I like that trailer. It was fun. But yeah, I, I think it was not smart for them to go and redesign it, just release it. I've said that before. But if they're going to keep delaying it and delaying it, you're just, I mean, you're just sinking money into a ship that's going to not make its I mean, money it, back. It, they had, what, six months to they redesign the entire main character of the movie? They should have just released it. So. But yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> apparently, it's coming out just a month later. But like, it just brought up the question because I like forgot Sonic was a thing that was alive and happening. And yeah, does anybody care? Is this movie dead already? No. I mean, it might make it might make any money if but. they redesign it and the redesign looks good. All it takes is another trailer and it's back in, in everyone's minds again. Well, yeah, it's I mean, fine. We were talking about Dark Phoenix, like it was never going to hit theaters, you know, because Disney bought the stuff and it was a disaster. That's and, your example. I mean, <laughs> Are I, you I mean, I, like, I'm, I'm not saying Dark Phoenix was always going to hit theaters. Anyone who yeah, thought that that that's movie what was I'm never saying. going like, to hit theaters? When you say dead, is, is straight I, up I mean, idiot. it's going to hit theaters. It's going to be released. Is, is my new argument. I told them they should not hit theaters with it, and I was a straight up, you know you know, profit on that one. <laughs> like, yeah, profit being a double funny word. I mean, they'd already lost the money. Yeah. They've already spent the money. So get back what you can. Mm, yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, it's a dead brand. It's all right. Get back what you can. All right. So Sonic is a thing, and you can go see it eventually. <laughs> all right. Moving right along. Uh, Halloween. So while well, during Comic-Con and the flurry of Comic-Con, we talked about this a little bit in our recaps, but, uh, you know, we were talking a lot, and we were kind of focused on Halloween when this podcast uh started or was that last year or no this was before the podcast started huh i think so so the podcast Oof. in my head we were focused <laughs> and talked about it a lot but uh you know halloween was a good comeback franchise uh thanks to david gordon green and uh, danny mcbride and during comic-con uh it was john carpenter i believe who kind of just dropped the formal announcement that we're getting two sequels halloween kills and halloween ends um, and apparently these are going to come at us pretty fast because Danny McBride and David Gordon Green have already let it be known that, you know, they've had these ideas 
kind of cooking and they actually have prepared them for at least a sequel script and it's going to be coming down the pike and so yeah we're getting more michael myers well that i mean those movies weren't incredibly expensive to make nope and they make good money and especially the last one right yeah and rekindled the the franchise and uh i think there's just good questions because i wrote it to the show notes i was like you know i hope halloween kills we were talking i was talking with a friend and I was saying, you know, the last one's kind of, we were looking at the titles Halloween Kills and then Halloween Ends and we were saying like, if Halloween Ends is titled that, I really hope it is just a complete trilogy story. But then I looked on our site and they're already saying Halloween Ends won't be the end. There will be more <laughs> Halloween to come. And I was like, ah, oh, damn it. And I was like, yeah. So my whole spiel was going to be, I hope they just make a really good complete trilogy and then just cut it off. But apparently we'll be back to Season of the Witch before we know it. They can't help themselves, huh? No, they can't. <laughs> um, but I enjoyed it. I, I am really curious how they pick up after Halloween, the, the last chapter we got. Because if you saw the ending of that, I mean, they trapped Michael Myers in a basement that was designed to be this intricate cage that Laurie Strode's been planning for 20-odd years or something, or 30 years, and then burned him alive. So I'm interested to see what happens there. Um because that slow-moving, hulking man somehow can evade things like a jaguar. I don't know. But I also want to see what happens with Laurie Strode's granddaughter, who was seen kind of embracing her violent side and stabbing Michael Myers with a knife, and still the last shot of the film is her still holding that bloody knife. So is this going to be like Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, and she starts to go nuts, or like what's it going to be? So I'm interested in that. Um, You guys excited for that? Matt, I know you kind of... Your horror love is yeah. It's yeah, but I'm actually like excited for that. I'm kind of interested to see. Uh, typically, I like them to. I'd rather them just tell me as the sequels come, like, oh, hey, this one, like, because there's a little bit of surprise in that, mm-hmm. you know, leaving. But now it's like, oh, I know that story's not going to wrap up here. It's well, I mean, be they're, the they're shooting one. back to back. It's one of those yeah. like they're it's, it's kind of part one and part two to the, the same. But I'm interested to see like movie. that, like if that if they right. keep going with Myers or if do they kind of take a, a little bit of a side. Yeah, I mean, some there's gender flipping all over the place. Why not in yeah. horror? I mean, I, I think it, like, I love I love Halloween. The original Halloween is one of my favorite movies of all time. And so I, I enjoyed the reboot, and I think if this kind of follows the same vein, it's never going to reach the heights of the original one, but it's still going to be fun no matter what. You know, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be scary. You know, it's, it's, it's a good venture to go into where, like, it's not going to ruin... Halloween, like some of the other sequels have. Well, I think it's my only holdup is nice self-contained. It's feeling. like it's like Force Awakens to Last Jedi, right? Like Halloween was good, but it was good in large part because they did such a good job of keeping it modern, but also banking on oh yeah, kind of surfing the wave of the original and take. And the whole point of it was taking things back to that style of Michael Myers in and of the original Halloween movie. Now you kind of are getting into territory where you actually got to make your own thing. You can't just do another rehash of the same stylistic and do another kind of nostalgia piece. You've got to continue your own story in your own world. And that's where it can get a lot more divisive with like what people choose to do. So, I mean, I'm a little bit just concerned with that. That's my only hang up. Like if they step out into their own thing, do David Gordon Green and Danny McBride have, you know, their own kind of metal and ability as general horror filmmakers, not just John Carpenter super fans. You know what I mean? Right. So we're gonna. I, have I to guess see the only reason I don't worry about it is because it like because they have that 
what makes the original so great, even if they're going to do their own story, which they need to, you're absolutely right. Other people that took on Halloween movies over the years didn't have that. Here is what makes this so iconic. Here's what John Carpenter did that make this work so well. They have an appreciation and understanding of what he did and what this is supposed to be. And so as long as they kind of keep that intact, they can branch out and tell a different story, but they can kind of keep that soul of what the franchise is supposed to be. And that's kind of where I think this is going to fail or succeed. Well, all I know is if they have Michael Myers get into a whole big fight with somebody who turns out to be a hologram or something like, <laughs> this is going to be a big, big split for a Halloween fan. He takes on the Tupac hologram. <laughs> all right, moving right that. along. Last but not least on our news flash, uh, we had a kind of a funny story about a man who tried to buy <laughs> weed online in Canada using a Thor ID, which was like one of my favorite things to type as a headline this morning when I came in. Uh, yeah, you got to check out this story, this guy. I mean, it's just so perfect because I think I just wanted to feature this because the actual ID is so funny. Uh, it's a picture of like Chris Hemsworth's Thor from Thor 1 while he's just hanging out in, in human town and he's giving like a little smirk and a wink smile with his long hair flowing and whatnot. But his name is Odinson, comma, Thor Thunder, who lives at 69 Big Hammer Lane. Oh, my God. Uh, Uh, You got to respect, man. That's amazing. Yeah. The best part about this scheme, uh, this person was trying to use this ID and a scan of this ID to uh, purchase... uh, Legal weed off uh, online dispensary in Canada. Um, the only problem with this scheme that I found hilarious was they were trying to do this now, and they're using a license that expired, a fake license that has still has an expiration date of May twenty second, twenty seventeen. Wow! <laughs> so like <laughs> two years. You went over, through all that. <laughs> yeah, for an over two year old license. Like, I don't even understand some crooks. Like, you're going to make a fake ID, but you're not going to make it an active license? Like, what's the point of that? Jeez. But as I say in the article, I mean, I don't know whether to laugh at the stupidity of this particular crook or attempted kind of forger or or be in awe at the level of worldwide Marvel fandom there really is out there. (laughs) I also want somebody to go into the driver's license number uh, and see if it's some kind of weird Marvel Easter egg. Because there's like a number set of numbers at the top, and after the revelations of 69 Big Hammer Lane, like I just want to know if there's any more funny like little things hidden in this. So be sure to take a look on the site at that because you got to see this ID. I mean, it's, it's a great pretty, idea. Yeah, it's a pretty priceless like little fake ID picture. So yeah, as we wait for Thor: Love and Thunder, these kinds of stories are going to get me through. Okay, so. Uh, stay tuned because after we get back, we are going to jump and take a deep dive into the new era of X-Men comics that began this week with Jonathan Hickman's House of X number one. So be sure to be here for that discussion. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. 
and it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now, and listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. All right, so the day has come. You know, Marvel told us that uh, Jonathan Hickman, who has gained fame from other Marvel stories like Avengers and big story arcs like Secret Wars and Infinity, was going to be bringing his unique style of storytelling to the X-Men. This has been a big event that's been teased. We've all been wondering, what the hell? There's been like this whole game-changing secret and new status quo that, you know, a lot of big talk was thrown into this. And uh, we went into Comic-Con just wanting to know what the hell this is all about. And we're just starting to get the picture with House of X number one, uh, which hit shelves this week and we've all read it and we've been kind of talking about it in the in the office we even got into a little sidetracked on it on our comic-con breakdown so i wanted to just take a minute and kind of focus and like really just dissect what goes on in this issue the pros the cons and then talk a little bit about what we think is coming uh next week in powers of 10 number one and overall from this arc and where it's going to probably leave the x-men so um, just to kick things off, I read it, Matt gave it to me and I like went home and read it and I was kind of half asleep. So I reread through it today because there is a lot to process mm-hmm. in this. And the thing about this issue, and I think it's weirdly has the same pro as it does con, which is that it, this is very much just like an informational issue. Mm-hmm. Like it could just be a, like a prologue actually to an actual comic book story because it's literally just a rundown of like scenes and situations and informational charts saying here's your in some cases literal map to this new world I'm drawing. Yeah. And here's kind of just little scenes of how it functions now that you need to know because you're going to you need to kind of get oriented. Yeah. And that's what it is. I mean, it is just like it is just an it's informational dead. guide yeah. to to a new era of X-Men. And the way that is totally Hickman and like you could see like a 70s sci-fi writer or something like it's a novel. Um but I think we'll ultimately split fans. I mean, because the information I found very interesting and and in some cases head scratching like where the hell are you going to go with this? Yeah. Um but at the same time, it's not like an exciting read. Like you need to set aside. You actually have to set it. This is like a reading assignment. Like you actually have to set aside some time and really kind of go through this and absorb it. You can't just blow through it like on your lunch break, like a normal comic book. But that's what I liked about it. Yeah, and I kind of There's agree a lot with to that. digest. Like I agree yeah. with what you're saying 100. percent I just felt differently about it. Like mm-hmm. it was something I could sink my teeth into. And like there's so many comics that are just fluffy. And here's really fun pictures and nothing's actually happening. And then some action and some fight scenes and then more nothing. And this was a, like a true reading experience. You know, like you had to be invested in it to read it. And, and that's, I think, you know, having to work for it just a little bit, like 
really lets it you know have a payoff. I agree with that because like I mean I, it is it is incredibly dense. There's a ton of stuff. Also, the way this book is laid out and the way Hickman has kind of laid out both of these series, Powers of X, which will come out next week, is like each issue of that is supposed to focus more on the history of this stuff and make the House of X issues read differently. Mm. So essentially, like it's supposed to, one, fill in some gaps, but also reveal some unknown things about each previous issue of House of X. So that way it'll make you go back and read this in a different way. So there's a lot of little things I feel like once Powers of X ramps up, you'll start to see Oh, that's okay. That fits here, and it's going to be more like a puzzle in that respect. I, if if that is handled correctly, that's a great thing. It can also be a convoluted mess very quickly. But I mean, Hickman seems to have a knack for that kind of thing. So um, I know. I mean, I I really enjoyed it, but I enjoyed it for the same reasons. Like I had to sit, I had to read it twice to really absorb all the little all the stuff graphs and charts yeah like and, and all the little you know all the stuff about krakoa yeah, and the, the flowers ideas. and the like all what that is stuff. jonathan hickman's can we just stop what is jonathan jonathan hickman's weird obsession with like growths yeah gardens and, gardens <laughs> and, growths and stuff like that yeah event that was huge during his avengers yeah too. like yeah. that whole thing when i got to that in avengers i was like wait what <laughs> like what is with the garden yeah i yeah. know that threw me a lot we're in space and yet we're dealing with like these gardeners Garden, what yeah. is this uh you know i but yeah there was a lot there but i really enjoyed it. also pepe Laraz did a fantastic job Stuart I thought. Yeah, it's really really good art i i honestly thought it was Stuart. When I opened the book, and then I had to look at the cover. And go, oh, okay, this is good. What do you think? Yeah, I, I'm not as high on it as I think everyone else is. Like, I, everyone's talking about that um, Fantastic Four scene. Yeah, like that. it's really. I, I mean, as with Jonathan Hickman books, you know, the the uh, conspiracy theory hats, you know, all of, you know come out, and everyone's wearing them. Um, I want to th- believe. That, I mean, there's. There's a lot that's told in those first two pages, mm-hmm. right? Where you have Xavier saying, or who we th- believe to be Xavier saying, to me, my X-Men, and just a bunch of people just plopping out of plant pods. Yeah. Um, I think the fact that Marvel Girl is wearing an old costume, I think the fact that Wolverine is still wearing an old costume, um, and, uh, you know, I don't think those are actually them. I think those may actually be Krakoan-made mutants dressed up to be them. Um I want to believe, like, my long-term, like, whole thing here that, like, Xavier is actually sinister because it feels just, like, one, a Hickman thing to do, but also a sinister thing to do. Mm -hmm. Um, But, and so because of that, and and just, like, it's, it, Cyclops also, it talks in a way that Nick Fury did in Far From Home where it feels a bit out of character and I feel like it's on purpose. See, I don't, I don't feel, feel like, like that's out of character. But that, that Cyclops, Cyclops is not the Cyclops that we just saw, and, and I get it, right? No, like because that Cyclops was not correct either. But what Cyclops... Cyclops but hasn't been correct but, since Bendis had him. But what's... <laughs> even bef- but even before Bendis. But, like, what Cyclops is that? I mean, it does, it's Hickman's Cyclops. It's, yeah, it's just... It, it's, it's all, it all starts over now, right? Like, this is the beginning but of But that Cyclops is the same Cyclops before the revolution started. Th- that Cyclops... That uh, there's a I'm forgetting the writer. Uh, it's the Terry Dodson run. Uh, there was a he did a run on covers and in- interiors. Wait, Brubaker it might be Brubaker. There was a certain run of Cyclops where he had like the blue and the and the gold right. kind of modern design. 
he sounds like that Cyclops. And that's my favorite version of Cyclops. If anything, I would imagine this Cyclops sounds like the Cyclops during Utopia, right? Very much and, so, yeah. And but he, but he doesn't still. Like this one, like I and I can't. The jetpack scene from Dark Avengers that sounds exactly <laughs> like this. See, I don't think so. He pops up and he's like, "Here, I'm here," and a little bit of a of a twist, though, right? Because he's like, "Did you really think we were gonna take take it?" Like, there's just a little bit of underneath, but it's still kind of snarky, but it's in a very leadership way. This, like, yeah, this is the Cyclops that I've gotten arguments with in the whole office, especially with you and Jamie, because I have never really liked Cyclops very much, yeah. and. The guy that I've read, I've just I've never been able to get into. I think he's really annoying and really just overall obnoxious. And the guy that you and Jamie have always described to me as this is what Cyclops is and this is why he's great. That's what I saw in this book. Yeah, was the things that you guys have always said to me about about why this is a really cool character. And he had that like this really big, bold confidence, but also like this really underlying like, hey, I, I want to be on the same page as you, and I hope we are. But I'm going to do right by my people no matter what. It was it was it was a very very well written yeah. piece from him. I, I, I as opposed to Magneto telling them, "I'm God now. We're your gods now." That was the best <laughs> part of the whole book. But like they're supposed to because him and Cyclops have a lot in common as far as like how they approach from a strategy and like team leading perspective. But that's the biggest difference between them is how they interact with like humanity. Yeah, and and you it, see it in a, this a very, issue. There's a very, very clear humility to Cyclops. Yes. In this issue. And then Magneto is like... But it's such a good moment. Magneto. Yeah, it's such a good moment oh. when he does it. Cyclops is, is influenced by Xavier's kind of teachings. And you see him where it comes to where you, he could be. I didn't take it as arrogant. I took it as, as almost like a minority knowing mm-hmm. when to just, to, to just let the fight go. And if you're like... A minority, you understand this. Like when you're trying to be in a situation and arguing with like authority or something, and you realize they're just not going to listen to you, and you kind of just take on this other persona that he takes on, which is okay. You know, like it's crazy. I read that so that way too. Yeah, so, okay. <laughs> it's so He's weird. Basically saying like, okay, white people, like you got it all figured out. Like ah, uh, we're just going to handle this later. And then he basically says something in a very kind of like activist. He's like very much an activist in this. And he's like, all right, you know, we're going to let you handle this. And he's like, I know eventually like we're going to get this guy back because like we're not just going to let this stuff go on anymore. And it's just a friendly threat, which I like from Cyclops. Yeah. And, and it's better than, like you say, than like Magneto being the other side of the point. And it's just like, shut up, we're gods now. Like, <laughs> Even though that's excellent and perfectly fitting with yeah. his character, you yeah. know, when he's like, promises aren't threats. <laughs> that's, that's a great line. Great. And, I, and I mean, that's the thing. Like, there's a lot of Hickman stuff written over these characters, but he does get the core of them, I feel like, and you see them coming out. Like, Magneto starts off this issue as like, I am an ambassador. And at the end, he's like, I'm your god. <laughs> You know, peace, so sit down. Good. Like, so good. You know, and, and and that's kind of good. And like, yeah, there's there's hints of a lot of the classic stuff still being in there. Like was promised in a lot of ways. Like the classic stuff being in there. Like I got the feel of 70s. Like I grew up because my brother's 10 years older than me and was an avid comics collector. So he was born in 1971. So when he grew up, he has like an entire era of 70s X-Men comics that I grew up kind of just reading through all the Marauders thing, you know, Archangel, all that stuff. Mm. And this very much had a feel of like a lot of that, like the scenes with Mystique and Sabretooth feel like classic Freedom Force or something like that. And you got to wonder like what 
the selection of Kraoka and like why is that being brought up and like where is he going with this because you know that island has very big ties to the history of the X-Men and you know very pivotal places like where the original team evolved into mm-hmm. the giant size team and then later an entire team was destroyed that we found out and then Xavier like mind wipe so like what is this whole thing kind of benevolent as it seems in the outset because Kraoka is like never really benevolent it always turns out to be something kind of crazy so like what's going on with this and like yeah i i like jim suspect that the xavier we meet in the beginning is not at all xavier i would love the sinister thing if that's what happens it'd be great i just want it to happen and not uh undercut all this really interesting stuff they're building because i feel like sometimes if that's the oh he's really sinister we have we could have a tendency to like go backwards and right. go over all this stuff oh it's just a ruse and here they're all being held somewhere and we've seen that a million times i hope they are able to do that because i think well, it's an interesting idea there's and still there's still a the very rest. big thing that we have not that hasn't been addressed yet that i imagine will get addressed in powers of 10 is the the Moira Mc, Moira McTaggart of it all yeah where she's supposed to have a huge huge role in this uh, they we just don't know right now and well, was she she wasn't in the first issue at all she was not right? in the first mm-hmm. issue at all well that's the the human aspect of it is where I I really got interested I wonder how she's going to tie into um, what was the name of the other organization that was t- very much like like how Hickman did the builders in Avengers and New Avengers. And there was a side story that just did not make sense or pay off for a while. Oh, the one that's building that master mold? That has the master mold up by the sun or by one of the planets. And they're, and I remember they're the name of the with, protocol, right? Because it's Orcus, right? Orcus. Yeah. And, yeah. The, and they're tasked with policing mutants. And as soon as yeah. mutants get out of hand to like take over. And, and it's those there's three so tiers. much you don't know yeah. about that. There's so much redacted information, and then that really mysterious chart, and like, and that's that Master is Mold, come right? To play is that Master Mold's head? That's what it looked like. Yeah, I imagine it's a version of Master. I heard, Mold. I saw Mother Mold re- referenced in there at some point, so I guess maybe they have that. But yeah, I mean, I, I re- and I found that part really interesting. I just mm-hmm. also love that, like, have this organization, like a, a chunk of it is made up of of AIM. <laughs> <laughs> it's like AIM, Hydra, Shield, Sword. Alpha flight, uh, Alpha flight. Alpha flight. Hammer, yeah, Hammer. and it's like yeah. most of these are and bad. <laughs> most of these are terrible organizations, and, and, and it's just this kind of thought of like everyone being worried about mutants, right? Yeah, like, like for all of the Marvel history, all these organizations have been secretly like terrified, yeah. of what humans or what mutants are going to do, and it really it gets like Kobe. This really like brings back what you were saying about your initial reaction to Cyclops. Well, it's also it's got like, the, the character Karima, who's an Omega Sentinel, too, yeah, yeah, part of that, which is really cool. Um, like I said, th- th- there's a lot here that looks r- like a lot of fun. I think that the thing that threw me off a bit was the map that had uh, Krakoa yeah. in the Pacific. Oh, because yeah. is that a different well, I mean, Krakoa? Krakoa's, than Krakoa's, Krakoa's everywhere. Were, like it says, like there's there's Krakoa is traveling a, through more than in it. Well, so well they make gateways. And yeah, right. Grow and, and habitats, and that's the most. I think that's also. And one I think of they've the, just grown different habitats at different locations connected by gateways. Yeah, that's also one of the interesting that only parts. Mutants can travel through. Is that tumor thing where yeah. it like says like it's it's essentially within it's within like. 
Krakoa's existence, but kind of outside of it. So like it yeah, doesn't not, know it's there. Yeah, there's a Krakoa base that's attached to Krakoa, but is is not part of the living entity. Mm-hmm. And I like I know that's gonna come in yeah. at some point. Also, it's the be like Sinister's later. Yeah, you know yeah, the three drugs are also very interesting because this doesn't put the mutants in a antagonistic thing like yes they're asserting themselves but again it's like we're giving you these things literally as long as you just recognize us as a nation like if you'll just literally give us some respect and not like try and kill us here's like a way to like prevent alzheimer's here's a way to like fight every disease and then here's a way to get five years of life like that's huge and I, but I like putting that spin on the human and mutant thing instead of just making it like, yeah, you know, you took over San Francisco. Yeah. Like, making, I mean, he's doing like, I mean, X Men has been obsessed with the social order of things, mm-hmm. but in reality, if you read like a lot of, you know, social revolution studies and literature, I mean, it's always about three different aspects: social, political, and economic. And he's kind of like exploring mm-hmm. those ideas. Right. Like, here's an economic power incentive for a mutant nation yeah. that'll buy eventually like political influence and then social influence. Yeah. Like, and it's going back to like what to what you said and to, to what X Men has always been about. I mean, X Men was it was about you know um, about race relation and and about you know moving forward civil <laughs> rights and there's so much underlying, like there's so many underlying tones of that in this, in a very, very modern, different sense than, than the original X-Men. Like the fact that these organizations who are some totally evil and some supposedly just are talking behind each other's yeah. back and, and communicating <laughs> about this race that is different than them that they're scared of because they're different. You know, and then there's the whole, like there's a very separate but equal type of fight going on with what the X-Men are trying to do and whether that is whether they should be doing it or what the right way is to go about it. And like, there's so many undertones of the civil rights movement, but a, a big evolution of what the civil rights movement looked like during the original X-Men runs. Yeah. And post civil rights about like, right. you know, where are race relations and like how do groups move forward and do all that and establish their own kind of identities and economic independence and like all that stuff is like, I mean, he's dealing with some heady themes that, you know, could easily blow up in your face. Mm-hmm. But but so far, so far, off to a good start. Yeah. Off to a good start, or a fair enough start, or an interesting, I think an interesting start is the best way to put it for me. Hmm. I think you're in Jim's camp then, I think. Right? Yeah. Because that's, yeah, kind yeah. of, like, you like the ideas, you just don't love. Mm-hmm. Um, There's also that weird, and the reason why I go back to, like, I don't, I don't think Cyclops is necessarily real, um, is in one of those opening scenes, there's, like, a... Dude, oh yeah, with the with eye, the, with the yeah. eye gleam, and then that you see, and then they make a, a point to show that again. They do in that Fantastic Four scene without. Well, did like, we see that they were being reason? birthed from these? Th- I thought, it looked like they were planting the flowers. No, the, it no, looked to me no, like they're it, the first two pages. I think are them like popping out of these pods. Some yeah. of them were, and it, then, they were and planting then the, more. And then of them. the two page spread happens, and then you see the various members of the. I interpreted him clearly like being birthed from a pod, but two people who come out are arguably gene and Cyclops. Yeah. But I also don't think that's, doesn't, that means that they're not them. I just think that whatever they're going to establish as this huge event that, you know, change things, I think that'll explain it. But I think they're still really them. I don't think they're clones or stand-ins or anything so yeah and jim this is just before we wrap up this is a quick thing that you might be able to answer or matt you'll be able to answer does this does this wipe away x-men continuity of the past like or does it does it matter no or is it just completely like its own 
No, that's why I think like what we're seeing now is not we're like it's only the first chapter of a twelve chapter story, and we're definitely not seeing um any we're not really seeing anything yet. We're seeing what Jonathan wants us to see, but there's still you, you you know, if you look past it a little bit. And I do agree with the what, what I've heard is you know I think even Jamie might have said this where uh, you know it, or J.K. where it's clearly kind of picking up the ball from Grant Morrison's new X Men and kind of continuing in that vein. So I mean, Grant I'd, Morrison's new X Men made no sense. This makes this I'm, no as far weird. as like it's trying to pave a new path, but still honor. What mm-hmm. came before? I, wow. uh, so I don't think it's wiping. Oh, I know. I know. My Which, by the way, God. I'm not the biggest new X Men person still, either. I kind of agree still with him. A great story, the Cassandra yes. Nova story. But I still great. really like stuff about it. But I think this is going to take a similar thing of like that didn't wipe out all continuity. It very much kept a lot of it, but it made a few tweaks and Dude, changed some substantial that professor things. Professor Xavier killed off his own twin in the womb. Oh, I loved that part. Awesome. Yeah. Great stuff. Oh man. Anyway, we need a new X Men edition of this podcast to defend against Jim Shade. <laughs> that's after that's after House of X and Powers of Ten. Like you know, we'll, we have this run. So I'm sure we'll be back and talk about Powers of Ten when the first issue comes out, and maybe this will snap a whole lot of things and change our whole perception of this. But if you haven't checked out House of X, make sure you go pick it up on shelves now because it's out now. Mm-hmm. So. That'll do it for us on this uh, Comic-Con hangover edition of Comic Book Nation. If you want to join the journey in full, if you've been hopping on lately, because we've thrown a lot of bonus episodes at you for Spider-Man and Comic-Con and Marvel Hall H and all this stuff. So if you want to join the uh, regular ride, we are here every Wednesday and every Friday on comicbook.com where you can find a link to our RSS feed and subscribe, or you can subscribe on your favorite listening platform. We are on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Google Playlists, or you can tell any Amazon Alexa device to play Comic Book Nation podcast and they'll fire up the latest episode for you. Uh, if you have anything you heard and you want to continue with from our discussion, you can always find us on social media at the hashtag Comic Book Nation, or you can find me at Kofi Outlaw. You can find me at Matt Aguilar CB. And I'm at Charlie Ridgely. And if I don't know. Is there? Forget. Like, is there supposed to be? There's supposed to be something coming in. Oh yeah, that's right. If you want to leave us a glowing five star <laughs> review on iTunes, you will find that uh, every so often we read our reviews from the show on the air. And uh, you know, if you're we read your review, you'll get your T-shirt. My brain is falling apart. <laughs> I only have a couple spells left. What's happening? Oh, Comic Con hangover is real, oh, man. My, my brain is really just falling apart. Uh, yeah, like I so, literally saw it fall apart. In yeah, time. Like I was like something, something T-shirts. I know it's about T-shirts. Um, yeah. So if we read your review on air, your five-star review, we will send you some uh, Comic Book Nation swag, and we have some pretty cool T-shirts that people seem to be enjoying. So that'll do it for us. We're gonna get out of here. Be sure to tune in next time. We're Comic Book Nation. We're Deuces. out.